everyone, welcome back to Rocky Unscripted. So glad you're joining us today. We have a very special guest today, one of Sean Moyers, our lead pastor, one of his most influential mentors of his life is gonna be joining us today. His name is Cal Jernigan, and he is the lead pastor of Central Christian Church in Arizona. Now this is what's, what's cool among many other things, but Cal has been the lead pastor there for 26 years. He's going on his 36th year at the church, that's right. He started there as a student pastor in 1987. Now, whether you're in ministry or not, th this is pretty remarkable. Cal's church has grown to uh, just over 12,000 people. There's five different campuses and a whole slew of staff that he helps lead. And uh, I think anyone in any type of leadership would be impressed by that. And that is why he is on the show. Today, we are talking about finding that balance in work and in home life and how to stay healthy, and how to avoid burnout. So we're going to talk about all kinds of practical bits of, of advice, but this is a great episode. It's one that you're going to want to listen to slowly and take some notes because Cal has some incredible nuggets for us to walk away with. So sit back and let's dive into the conversation. Well, Cal Jernigan, so good to have you on the podcast. Thanks for being on the show. Hey, absolutely honored to be here. Thank you. Yeah, we've been talking about having you on for a while because you and Sean, our lead pastor, have known each other for a, a while. And Sean, I don't want to ignore you. Sorry. Thank you. Welcome <laughs> to the show as well. It is good to be here. It's super good to have Cal on, man. I'm excited about this. Yeah, so, so you guys have, have known each other. Um, actually, just how long have you known each other? When did you meet? Cal, you may not remember this. It was 2008. So we were in a hotel in Salt Lake City at a church planning gathering. <laughs> I do remember. And and I remember it like the day just because the economy had just crashed and gone crazy. It's all over the news. We're gathering, talking about church planning in, in uh, Salt Lake City. And I remember you sitting down with me after that those meetings and saying, if you want to go do this, if you want to plant a church, we're in. Like, we'll help you and it'll be behind you. It was so affirming for me. Um, but that connection happened. And then we didn't have a much connection until 2012. I come here to Rocky and... Uh, about six months into being here at Rocky, I land in a group because our former lead pastor, Alan Algram, with you and two other guys, and we've been in a group now for nine and a half years. I don't know if you realize it's nine and a half years. That's incredible. And other, and other guys have now jumped in it. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Bigger than the three. Yeah. So for nine and a half years, uh, Cal, you've, you've served as, as kind of one of the mentors in, in Sean's life. <laughs> you might you might want to ask him that question, but I, I think I did. I think I have. I want to take a little bit of credit, but there you maybe go. not. I don't know. There you go. Well, let me just acknowledge. Like it's really funny. I just had lunch today with Alan Algram, our for, our founding pastor, uh -huh. and then I'm on the on the podcast with you today. Man, the two voices that have been most influential for me in the last ten years have been Cal and Alan. Mm. And so, uh, Cal, man, let me just acknowledge. Uh, even some of the most um, probably the decisions we needed to make that I needed the courage to make here. You gave me the courage and uh, to do that through our group. And I think it's been the same for those other guys in the group. So has Cal been influential? Man, let me just acknowledge, I, I don't even know if I could say how much. Mm. Um, great friend, but uh, incredible mentor, always been there. So. Yeah, thank you, Sean. And the thing that I would say, you know, which we've talked about this ad nauseum in our, in our circle, um, you know, everybody needs to be mentored. Everybody needs somebody older who's kind of pulling them along and, and you know, speaking into some of the decisions that they're making. Uh, the, the tragedy is that most of us don't have somebody. And most of us, you know, don't think there's a problem until there's a problem that overwhelms us. And then we go, I wish I had some help here. 
And to your credit, Sean, and the other guys in the group, what's made that group magical over the years is the willingness to go, look, we, we could do we could do this alone. And I always say this about the ministry. Uh, I, I can do this all by myself, but why would I ever want to? Mm. You know, there's no win in that. And so to your credit and to the other guys, I think what's made that thing so wonderful of an experience is just the willingness to go, hey, let's uh, let's all be in this together. Let's let's, you know, open our hearts. Uh, I think all of us, uh, I don't think there's an exception. All of us would be amazed at how real it has become uh, from the first session that we were together to now and uh, how honest and raw uh, in a good way. Uh, you know, real genuine, you know, genuine feelings get, get expressed about, Hey, here's what I'm struggling with. And I just think too many people just don't have that. And again, you know, we're in a context of the ministry, but I think this exact same thing happens in the business world. People just are doing stuff on their own. They have no one that they don't let anybody in. And so consequently you end up all alone and wondering how you got on that Island. Mm -hmm, So kudos to you, Sean. Well, and by thanks. the way, you you also had hair when we first met. Yes, that is very true. That is very true. Hey, at eleven, we'll show you yeah. pictures. Well, hey, yeah. thanks for not quitting because it was a two-year commitment, and we're nine and a half years nine in, and, a half and years. you're still meeting with us, man. Maybe I love it. Cal didn't know he could quit. <laughs> wait, 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 what do you get? A two-year commitment? That's how he told you guys. Whoops! No. Let that you know, out of the bag. Seriously, uh, all of us who were in that group had marveled at the. Uh, uh, at the nature of it. So anyway, it's guys like Sean that make it happen. So love it. Love it. All right. Um, our listeners already know a little bit about you, Cal, uh, from the intro, but I would love for you to, to tell us about central, how long you've been there and just a kind of a brief synopsis. I mean, I know you've been there a while, so it's hard to be brief, but tell us about your church. Well, when I was a little boy, no, (laughs) (laughs) it all started. Uh, no, I've been here for, uh, I'm in my I've completed 35 years. I'm in my 36th year. Um, absolutely love this church as uh, any pastor ought to. Uh, I genuinely love this church. I came here uh, to be the head of, to be the youth minister. The church was much smaller back when I started here. And um, uh, I got to, I got to be the youth pastor here uh, under a really, really wonderful senior pastor, Dr. Leroy Lawson. And uh, had just a great, again, mentoring experience with him where he taught me a ton. And then uh, after about a decade of serving under him as he was the senior leader, uh, I was the head of the youth ministry. And the youth ministry grew, and it was just a tremendous, the church grew, and, and the youth ministry grew, and it was a wonderful, wonderful experience and season of life. And then in uh, 96, I think it was, uh, they asked me if I would consider uh, moving out of the role that I was in and actually succeeding him. And I was incredibly intimidated to do that because, and Sean would know this really well, he's like a legend. And uh, I've always, always said in in the ministry circle, you know, and again, it's probably true in business circles, uh, you know, but uh, you never want to follow a successful person. You want to you want to follow a failure because <laughs> because if you follow a really successful person, you're always compared to a really successful person. But if you follow a failure, all you got to do is just be a little bit better than that last goober, and uh, you're you know you're something. So I had zero uh, ambition to be Roy's successor because I I knew I would forever be uh, compared to Roy, and yet uh, uh, kind of uh, sucked up my uh, courage and you know just said I got to. I got I feel called to do this by God. So anyway, that was a, that was, 
I don't know, 96 was when they asked me. I actually took over in 99, and from then to now, I've been the lead, uh, lead pastor here. So I'm not good at so, math. How many, uh, how many years as lead pastor? Uh, 23 now. That's incredible. Yeah. I love that. You just don't hear that, that often of anyone staying at the same place for that long. I mean, you go back a generation or two, and maybe that happened you know, more often. But these days, it does not happen. We're going to dig into yeah. that. We're going to dig into that. Yeah, and there's a lot of pros and a lot of cons for that, by the way. Uh, the, the, the pros are obvious, but the cons are you just have you have a lot of memories that of people that have, uh, you know, since died, and you used to do ministry and do life with. You have a lot of uh, you have a lot of you have a lot of heartache, you know, that you have to deal with of you know people that uh, for whatever and every pastor knows his pain. You know, somebody who decided that they're gonna and we're not gonna go to your church anymore, and yeah. you have to you know deal with it and and try not to take it as a personal rejection so there's a lot of pros and a lot of cons to being here as long there's far more pros than cons but i do think it's awesome to have been in the same place and, and our goal here is that i would complete 40 years and awesome. then i'm handing this off to a successor mm-hmm. and then uh we just you know we think that's a, a real healthy thing for a church to be able to do so no yeah, kidding. It's, not, it's not normal no you know, kidding. Cal, one, one thing with that that has been interesting, I think you said there's a lot of po- there's pros and cons on both. Um, and but the longevity, you, you made the mention of just pros and cons of being at a place that long or leaving and going to other places. But you don't get the growth that I think you see that happen in people that stay and do it well and go yeah. through the hard times, the low times, the good times. Man, that, that longevity it experiences a lot of growth and maturity. In, yeah. in well, us there, and yeah. other people. there are definitely people who are kind of like my most favorite people. And those are the ones that go way back. Our church has gone through over those years, a lot of transition, a lot of change. And we're a multi-site you know, deal now with campuses around the Valley here. And it's just not the same church. And there's a thousand reasons why somebody could become discontent and go, you know, I don't want to go there. Uh, the church changed too much. And uh, the, but there is this group of people who have been with me through the entire journey, and and I've also uh, because I was a youth pastor for a decade here, uh, many 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 of these uh, people were in my youth group, and uh, now you know their kids are in college. I just just two nights ago had dinner with a couple that were in my youth group, Lisa and I did, and uh, we're talking about the challenges they're having with their own kids, and you just go, you don't get that, you don't you don't get that when you move. Quickly. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I also don't get to repeat my sermons over and over and over again. Either. <laughs> so, you go to a new church work. and you're like, I've got tons of material. <laughs> got tons of material, man. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Cal, can you tell us about uh, your family? Yeah, uh, my wife and I have been married uh, for 44 years, and a wonderful, wonderful lady. Uh, I absolutely believe she's a gift from God. Uh, I really think that uh, the person you marry. Uh, is crucial to your success professionally. Mm-hmm. And again, a, a difference between the ministry and the business world is in the business world, uh, you know, if, you're, if your marriage falls apart, your job doesn't fall apart. Uh, in the ministry, if your marriage falls apart, your job is going to definitely suffer. Uh, there's going to be a lot of questions that are going to be asked, and your credibility will take a huge hit. So for her and I to have been married for so long, and uh, we have a fantastic marriage, and I'm not just saying that. We have a fantastic marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I've really come to understand how much uh, she is crucial to the success that I've seen as a leader. 
and she's a leader in her own right, has her own deal that she heads up. But um, man, it's been it's been wonderful. I don't think I I don't think I could have stayed here. In fact, I'm very confident I couldn't have stayed here if I was constantly going home and having you know conflict with my wife about mm. why are we here and why aren't we somewhere else or why aren't we doing something else. So anyway, so for 44 plus years we've been married. We have two kids, both grown. Uh, the greatest joy of my life, uh, and I, I say this all the time. Uh, the, the, the thought did not originate with me by any means, but I certainly agree with it. Um, uh, one pastor once said, you know, the greatest gift you might give to the kingdom of God is not what you do, but what your kids do or who your kids become. And I, I would I would latch onto that 100% and go, I feel like God has been incredibly good to my wife and I. And if that were all, it would be more than awesome. Mm. But uh, both of our kids have grown up lo- loving the Lord, marrying people who love the Lord and then raising their families uh, in the Lord. And it's just it's, it's just fantastic. So we have two regular, uh, our kids, two uh, step uh, uh, in, what am I trying to say here? Help me. Uh, daughter-in-law, son-in-law. Yes. And then we have eight grandkids. So that's our family. That's awesome. That's and yeah. our, our people know uh, one of them. So yeah. Jer- Jeremy, yeah, Jeremy. Uh, he's come out and spoke for us a couple of times. Coming out, I don't know if you know this, he's coming out in September. Uh, to do some help with our lead team and and our services, so uh, he's going to be evaluating some stuff. We're super excited to have him. Involved. Jeremy's never been on the podcast though. <laughs> that's right. This that's is new right. territory. And if you ever have him, you just mention he's second. That's right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's really important. But it is fun. Uh, it is it is an absolute joy uh, to watch. You know, to when I was a youth pastor, you know, one of the things that was so I was so aware of is how many. How many people in the ministry, and I am first generation personally, so, uh, you know, my, my, I don't have a dad. My dad disappeared when I was really young. So, uh, but how many people who, who are in the ministry, who are pastors, who are raising kids, how many of them literally lose their kids? Mm. And, and it's, it is an absolute occupational hazard. Uh, and the trouble is, is they see the inside of so much pain uh, and, you know, so much co- uh, drama. And, and drama and trauma. And I, I just, I don't know, the, the thing that I, I just always wanted is I never wanted to help everybody else's kids get it right, but watch my kids get it wrong because I never had any time. And so at this stage in life, yeah, talking to either of them and their families are just an absolute joy. Mm. That's incredible. It sounds like we need to do another podcast episode <laughs> about how to have a family in ministry and not like lose everybody, yeah. not lose everything. That'd be incredible. Ministry is ministry is hard uh, on families, and Sean and, and Nick, you both obviously, uh, you, you know, you you live this, you know this. It's it's not, it's not, it's not what a lot of people think it is. It's much more uh, demanding, at, and, and people put expectations on your kids, and put uh, judgments on your kids based on decisions that they made. And I remember when they, again, I was a youth pastor and then I stepped out and then my kids went through the youth ministry after I stepped out. And I just remember saying to the youth pastor, the youth staff at the time, the youth pastors at this church, don't treat them different. Don't, yeah. don't go easy on them and don't go hard on them. Because mm. those are the two mistakes that people that just make you. I'm not going to challenge this kid because he's so-and-so's son, or I'm not going to challenge this kid, or I am going to challenge this kid and I'm going to get on him all the time and cause him to not want to come to church. So anyway, those are awesome stuff. Yeah, I think it's hard being a parent, no matter what you do. It is interesting when you add the faith, the faith perspective 
for your kids yeah. and your parents are leading in that and it does create a different dynamic for mm-hmm. sure and man you got to be really it's, intentional it's always been hard to be a parent i sean i totally agree i think the day that we're living in right now so anyone who's listening to this uh, i don't think you know you, you might go back to roman and greek times when it was tougher but i don't <laughs> maybe in the middle ages i don't know but it is a very, very difficult challenge to take on and commend parents who are trying very hard to make sure that they give the very best to their yeah. kids. And even that, knowing what is the very best, is a challenge in the day in which we live. Yeah. Well, Cal, I want to talk to you, talk about um, anyone that would, would look at you and, and, and know what you've accomplished would be impressed. And I'm, I'm sure you're not comfortable saying, hey, look at me and look at all Central has accomplished but you're leading a church, you've been there for 36 years, or you're going on your 36th year, and, you know, church of 12,000 plus people, um, you guys currently have five campuses, is, is that right? Uh, let's clarify, just so we don't, pre-COVID. <laughs> okay, okay. Pre-COVID. Hey, we're all saying that. Now, right. that well, yeah. Pre-COVID without online. Let's just use that there number. Go. There <laughs> we're going to use that number, that's pre-COVID without online. Yes. Uh, yeah. So the whether, yeah, yeah, absolutely, 100%. And, you know, whether people are in ministry or not, you look at that and just think about all the demands that that, that many people, that many staff uh, would, would put on, on someone, especially the person who is leading the whole thing. It's impressive. And, uh, you know, Sean has had a front row seat for the last nine and a half years of, of, of your leadership. Anyway, what I, what I want to talk about today is so many of us are struggling on how to balance the demands of our career and work and the demands of our family. And I'd love to just uh, to talk about that today. So many people experience burnout, so many experience anxiety and depression. And just to kind of further set up the conversation, this is what I'm seeing right now. I, know we, I don't know what you guys would add, but I feel like our culture has made some advantages or ad- advances rather in recognizing, hey, a lot of people are, are suffering from anxiety and depression. Um, and there's a lot of things that contribute to that. And now it seems like if, if someone to pursue want to pursue counseling or therapy, it's been destigmatized more than ever, right? It's very acceptable. That is great. But I feel like the solutions that our culture are offering in order to, to maintain a good work-life balance um, are, are I, I want you guys to talk about today. Mm-hmm. So this is what our culture is saying, I think. They're saying your job is the problem. You need to find a new job, Right. And in fact, I just read this article the other day saying financially, you're better off if you switch your job every year and a half and keep getting uh, better paying gigs and promotions, all that kind of stuff. Also, we need to uh, work as little as possible. You know, there's this movement of of the four-day work week kind of sweeping the world. Maybe that is better. I don't know. But when I look at your life, Cal, I don't see working less and I don't see moving around. So how do you, what, what is your take on that, uh, on, on how to maintain a good balance? Yeah, well, my first, my first thought when you say that, Nick, is I, I think that the question, you know, that you've got to ask yourself is what, you know, what's behind your decisions? What's driving your decisions? If you're, you know, if your goal is I want to work as little as possible and I want to make as much money as possible, you're going to filter every opportunity through the, that, you know, that grid and you're going to go that allows me to work less and that allows me to make more and so i'm going to lean that direction i think that 
you, you know, at the end of the day, it's your deepest motivations as to what guides you. Um, you know, my goal has never been to make a lot of money, and my goal has never been to work as little as I can work. My goal, if anything, has been to be as faithful as I can be to what I, you know, who I feel called to, and then uh, have as much significant uh, positive influence. And moving every other year is a killer of influence. Mm-hmm. It just that you don't have any time to invest in people. You don't build deep friendships. You don't have the opportunity to share much life together. And I really do believe that that's, you know, that's what people are, are desperately craving right now. And I, so it's kind of like that. Uh, how's that Sando looking for love in all the wrong places? I think they're looking for fulfillment in all the wrong places. And uh, I, I just, you know, I staying put, which is your point, staying put and staying committed to one deal is countercultural right now. And uh, it's, I've watched that change over the years I've been here. I, at this church right now, you know, we have a number of people who have been with me uh, in the 30s, uh, years in the third year, they're in the three decades. Um, uh, but the younger on our staff you are, the greater the odds are you're coming and going quickly. And it's just a different world. And I've watched through the decades as that's accelerated. And uh, you know, a lot of younger people uh, are, you know, are searching for something. And I, 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 th- I think it's tragic how much they're being told that you know it's about a career and you know that that dollar, the you know the dollar amount you make. Because I just don't think that ultimately is what brings fulfillment. But it is what's going on. And uh, you know, and there's a lot we can talk about how to keep all this in balance because it's re- I think it's really easy to get it out of whack which to the question of burnout is how we get it out of whack. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, obviously I think there are, there are certain situations where people do need to leave, right? We're, sure. we're not saying sure. is longevity is king and you just stay at the unhealthy place for forever. Right, right, right. Do you have any tips that you give to people? I've just had several conversations with friends, either in ministry and actually most, most of the conversations I'm referring to now are not in ministry. People that are saying, I think I need to be out of this job that I have. Mm. What, what are some of those telltale signs of saying, this is not the best fit for you, or this is unhealthy. You do need to, to consider yeah. moving on. Sure. Well, I, I, you know, the first thing I would look at is what effect is this job having on you? What effect is this job having on you? And if you find yourself, uh, you know, incredibly demotivated, incredibly uh, unenthusiastic, you know, you're dragging yourself to work every day, you're, uh, you, you really don't like the environment in which you work in. You really can't stand the people that you're surrounded with. I mean, you know, those are the obvious things that you would look at and go, why did you, why did you land here? Um, you're doing menial work uh, and you feel like I'm producing nothing. The purpose of, of what I'm giving my days to isn't invaluable at all. But I also think, you know, we, we could probably be wiser in choosing our jobs before we accept them. Yeah. Ask harder questions yeah. to see if you know, this is really... That's to your point where you said earlier is like, what was your motivation for getting a job in the first place? Yeah. If your motivation is it pays better and I work less, that could be setting you up to be really miserable in that job. Right. And, and, and again, what is, you know, what is, what is your, your mental framework of work? What is work? You know, work is not leisure. Work is not play. Work is not, uh, Hey, just hanging out with my friends all day. So I'm going to get a job where, you know, we all share the main floor of a, a workspace and we all have a you know little desk in front of us and we get to hang and play all day. Um, 
So I think, again, you know, kind of understanding what is it that you're redeeming your life for? Because you are in your occupation, you are giving away a part of your life for something that you think is more valuable. Mm. And the question is, what do you think is more valuable than the days of your life? Mm. Wow. I think people too often think it's just get a, get a paycheck. And I'm going, that's a miserable exchange rate. Days are too valuable for an, uh, just a dollar. Cal, that's good. That's gold, man. Doesn't make sense. Yeah. I th- if I could jump in on that, I, th- I think that, uh, I, Cal, you're saying, like, what you're doing, you want to make sure that you're doing something that feels significant to you. It's, 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 it's bigger than you. You're giving part of your life away. Um, I love that because I think when you're doing work that you're passionate about, man, you've got so much more energy and excitement about it. You get up in the morning thinking about it, go to bed thinking about it. I mean, that's good. And there's seasons of life where you feel tired and exhausted, but that's a big thing. I do think for people that are landing in that spot where they are questioning, do I need to leave? Do I need to find something else? My encouragement, when you start thinking about that, before you start blaming everybody else for the reasons you're feeling the way you are, I think people need to look internally at themselves and say, what am I, what should I be learning in this moment right now about me? And it may be that, man, I'm in the wrong kind of work and it just does not fill me up. But there may be some reasons that you're feeling some of the things because of your workflow, how you do work. Um, Maybe even some personal things of things you're telling yourself. Um, Maybe there's some blind spots of even learning about yourself and your personality that you might be causing some of those things. And I think there's, there's always got to be that moment where, what am I learning in this moment? And getting advice from other people. And then there may be somebody that finally says, hey, it's time. And I've been there before where somebody says, it's time. Dude, you need to uh, take a risk, jump out, and go. So. Yeah. Oh, and I think, uh, again, the, uh, the, I think something key you just said, uh, I think it's really important. If we're talking about any kind of longevity, you cannot go on your feelings. You have to go on your beliefs. I don't, I don't, I don't come to work every day because it feels good to come to work every day and, you know, put the hours that I put in. It's not a, it's a belief that I hold, a conviction that I hold that what I'm doing is consistent with what matters to my life and my ultimate purpose of what I believe I, you know, I was put on this planet to accomplish. And so if all I'm doing, if all I, if I just let my feelings be the guide, uh, then every day you're going to write a resignation letter because somebody's going to say something or something's not going to go the way you think it should have or wanted it to, and you're just going to be going, I'm, I'm done. I'm just out. I think of how many times over the years, you know, in this role, not uh, again over the years in the roles I've been in uh, to get, you know, to this moment I'm in time, I've, I've felt like quitting a whole lot. I've felt like chucking it and walking away. I can't... Uh, I can't fathom where I would be today if I would have just jumped on every opportunity that presented itself to me. Because to me, that's a lot. That's a lot of change that you would be starting over and starting over and starting over. And you know, just as you think about your, uh, you know, think about your retirement fund. If you if you stay faithful and put money away in a retirement fund for a lifetime, you have this humongous thing that's accumulated that's very very valuable. I think the work world is exactly the same. What are you investing in it? What is it that you're bringing every day? What do you, you know, and then it begins to compound. So I feel right now at this stage of my life, I feel like I'm incredibly wealthy and I'm not talking about money. I'm just talking, I'm wealthy in 
the privilege of uh, being a leader in an environment that I think is just wonderful. I'm rich. That's good, Cal. That's really good. You know, going back to, to that thought, you know, I remember transition because usually you start off in, in, in jobs, whether it be ministry or other things, and you'll work two or three years and then you get a promotion. You move up to something, three, two or three, four years, you move to something else. I do remember I had a tendency to recreate the same systems for me that worked well from one job to the next. And then being at my last job for eight and a half years, then being at this one for, t- man, you grow beyond that. And it's exactly yeah. what you're saying. You just create that investment that just starts compounding on itself, starts multiplying on itself. And, uh, and I, I totally agree. Longevity yeah, gonna, equals growth. I'm going to jump, I'm going to jump a track here real quick, just for a moment, because I think, again, what we're talking about in the professional world is I think most of us are longing uh, in our lives for significant relationships, end of sentence. I think in our lives professionally, there's very few things that are of greater joy than having comrades that have uh, done life with you. Mm. It, and again, and so in my context, I've got people that have been with me, you know, 30 plus years that have, you know, just very, very deep, deep. I mean, just, you can't replicate that. You can't, there's no quick way to have a 30 year old, the 30 plus year old friendship. There's, you just can't do it. But I think again, by picking your family up and moving, picking your family up and moving, picking your family up and moving, just because an opportunity presented itself, which is the uh, Azure, you know, kind of style of leadership these days. I just think you don't realize, you know what you're gaining, you just don't realize what you're losing. And then on this other track that we're on, I think one of the things that's so sad is if there's anything that post-COVID, I am aware of uh, in people, and and many people post-COVID have said, "Yeah, I'm not going to go back to church." And I'm in, I'm a church guy. I, that's the context for me. Mm-hmm. And but you know what they say? I, you know what I can't find anywhere. I, I you know I don't I don't miss you know listen to you preach. I don't say quite that bluntly, but <laughs> they don't say that. What they say is I can't find friends mm-hmm. in in my life. I can't find community. And again, there's a there's a context in your life with your community. There's a context in your job with community. I just think staying put has huge pays huge dividends. Okay, I'd love to um, talk about burnout a little bit because I think a lot of times when people are, are in this situation where they're looking at their life and there's this sense of I don't like my job, I want something different, I don't know if this is what I want to be doing with my life, all that kind of stuff. They're also maybe experiencing burnout or they're thinking, am I burnt out? And I've had, I feel like I've had several conversations with people that are just like, I've got zero energy to go back into work and to do this again. Do you got either, this is for either of you, but I'd love to start with you, Cal. Have you personally experienced burnout? I have, um, I would say this, um, I, the answer would be no, or, or no that I'm aware of, let's say it that way. So I never consciously, you know, hit that hit that wall. But I would say that burnout is, uh, we, and we can spend some time talking about how do we, you know, how do we really define what burnout is. But I think burnout happens on the other side of extreme fatigue. Mm-hmm. I have experienced extreme fatigue. And when I get into that, I think if you don't back off what you're doing, you don't change your the pattern of how you're living your life, the inevitable is burnout. And so I would say this, I have never yet uh, hit the point where I've not been able to see what's happening to me, 
Uh, so I'm in the early stages of burnout. Let's just call it that. And then I've been able to make adjustments and go, I don't want to go down that road. I don't want to become, you know, I don't want to become what I'm becoming. And I didn't, you know, I didn't get into this to become that kind of person. Because I think there's no way you're never, you know, again, this is stating the obvious. If you're burning out or if you're burnt out or burning out, there is no way you're optimally performing. You're so far from your optimum. Uh, you're, you're, manufacturing energy you're manufacturing interest and passion you're thinking it you know i'm just thinking it. i'm just i, I don't feel it i just gotta i gotta deliver i'm gonna lose my job there's no thriving in that whatsoever that's just simple survival mode so i had definitely felt myself getting close uh and one of my uh you know what uh, again we can talk about how do you know you're getting close for me i know i'm getting close when i get mad at everything mm -hmm. You know, I'm mad at everything. I'm mad at everyone. And I'm upset about how we did that. I'm upset at who that person did, you know, what that person just did. And uh, I, I look at uh, I look at my schedule and I'm angry that I got to go do these things. And then I'm, you know, come and want to chew my exec assistant out. How did you put so many things on my calendar? And how did you, you know, so uh, one of my uh, one of my mentors in my life just sat me down one time and he said, quit blaming everybody else. You know, you're you're a you're the guy in charge. If you're if you're you know if you're stressing about your own schedule, nobody it's not her fault. It's your fault. And so somewhere you got to start going. Okay, I, I, it's not inevitable that I'm going to burn out, and it's not inevitable, Sean, you're going to burn out, and Nick, it's not inevitable you're going to burn out. Mm. We're all capable of burning out, and it's and there's a chance we're all going to burn out, but. Uh, I think there are warning signs and you start picking up those warning signs, you start going something's wrong. And, you know, you know, a lot of times being guys, we're the last people to want to admit anything's ever wrong. But I think if you just, you know, you back up, you go, this, I'm just not doing well. And this is having an effect that I don't think is positive. And I, I need to fix it. I need to give attention. So it's almost like when the, the, the uh, idiot light on your car comes on, you have a choice. You can pretend like you don't see it and, it's like that old Fram oil filter commercial. You know, pay me now, you can pay me later. It's two dollars now. It's you know, two thousand dollars later. There you go. And I think that there's just signs that you can start picking up on. And for me personally, and what my issues are might not be your issues. I'm not an angry person. I'm not a. I don't get in. I don't get in verbal brawls with people. But when my and, and by the way, they don't even when I'm on my way to bad things, it's not coming out of my mouth. I don't do that. It's going on in my head, though. Yeah, it's going on in my head. And then I like want to bite somebody, you know, bite their head off. I know I am in trouble. So, Cal, that's a sign for you. That'd be a good thing to ask. What are some of those warning signs just in general? Because people deal with things different ways. It comes out and manifests in different ways. What would you say some of the warning signs of burnout would be? Well, I think we've addressed some of them, um, but let's just go further. So, uh, obviously, uh, you know, stress is going to be the in, it's going to be an inducer that you've got to you've got to monitor your stress level. Your stress level is going to determine so much of the outcome of what it is you're you're going to do. Uh, but I think you start looking for the lack of certain things that you used to have. And I used to enjoy this. I used to like coming to work. I, I used to feel motivated. I used to have enthusiasm. I used to believe in what we were doing, you know, uh, I think those kind of things. I, I also think that one of the huge things is when you're just, you're just feeling overwhelmed. When you're feeling overwhelmed, I think it's an incredibly poignant warning sign 
that you just need to go, okay, am I overwhelmed? Am I feeling overwhelmed? And how did I get here? And what do I got to do to get out of here? Um, and that to me is again, the trigger for me where my anger is when I just feel overwhelmed. I just feel like you just put way too much. I can't carry this weight. So I think those are things. Um, also, I think what happens is uh, when you're in, on the road to burning out, if you're, if you're truthful, uh, you're alienating yourself from other people, you're separating yourself. Uh, and with that comes a lack of willingness to listen to anybody who's trying to tell you, hey man, what's happening with you? What's happening? I believe, I, this is again, one of my own personal kind of core values. I believe that I'm surrounded by people who want nothing but the best for me. I believe that. My, my immediate, I'm not talking about everyone in my church, I'm not talking about everyone on my staff. I wish it were. But I'm sure my key staff around me, they have nothing but my best interest at heart. Nothing. They have, they have no interest in seeing me fall. They find no joy in my failure. They want nothing but the very best for me, as I want nothing for the very best for them. They will try their hardest when they see me going off the cliff. I'm headed for trouble. They will try their hardest to tell me. They will intercede somehow. And the question will be, do I push them away or do I pull them in? Hmm. Am I, am I going to lean into what they're going to say to me and, and open up and go, what are you guys seeing? And that's, and that's honestly is what they would say. Cal, you're grumpy, man. You're, you seems so, yeah, you know, you just seem, seem so short-tempered anymore. Mm -hmm. And again, I don't, I don't want to, I want to be careful here because this is an issue. I know when I feel that tension inside, like I'm, I am mad that I have to do something. That is not me. I'm not mm. acting out my anger. I'm not, mm -hmm. I want to be clear because I'd, I'd, be, I'd be misleading because somebody who knows me goes, you've never done that. Yeah. Inside I'm doing that. And, I, and I'm chewing them out in my head. <laughs> it's, it's happening. Okay, so what, what does that look like for you? You mentioned when you start seeing those signs, you have to step. I think the word you said is like, I, I have to step away. What does that look like? Does that mean you go on vacation? Like, what, what does that look like practically for you? Well, I, I, let me go back to something I alluded to earlier. I, I really do believe in this idea that we need to have gauges in our life. Gauges, like, you're, like you have in your car. And... You know, if you look at an airplane, an airplane has tons of gauges, not just a few. And they all have a reason, they all have a purpose. And I think the more nuanced you can make your gauges, the better off you're going to be because you're going to realize what this is telling you is this, but not that. And uh, so when my gauges and my, my lights start flashing, um, the, you know, the first thing, again, I feel like i got to do is I have to acknowledge that my warning systems are going off. And, and when we talk about how do you get into burnout, I think you don't pay attention to the warning systems. And all of those things we just talked about are warning systems telling me uh, something is wrong. Something is really, really wrong here. So what I have to do is then I have to step back and I have to start, I think, having really, really honest conversations with myself. And I think most of us don't like to have really honest conversations. I think we like to lie to ourselves. I'm fine. It's fine. It'll pass. It's not this. It's not that. And... Uh, I think if you can't, you know, how self-aware are you truly? Yeah. If you're not truly self-aware, you will, uh, you will succumb to a voice that's more alluring. It's not that bad of a problem. It's and it's just a siren song telling you it's, it's fine. It's good. I think the thing that I need to do is be honest and go, Cal, you're losing it right now, and pay attention. Then I think you have to go into some sort of a, you know, intentional, uh, proactive. What do I have to do differently? Mm -hmm. 
and and I've come back from things that, uh, and even this conversation I'm referencing with my one of my mentors, you know, I, I was in another city when I had that conversation with him, and you know, he just turned around and basically said, "Put blame on other people. It's your doing." And I remember coming home and literally sitting down with my calendar and Xing things out, and just going, "This ain't gonna happen." Mm. And, and, you know, one of the problems, I think, in, in, in the world I live in, and again, I know for business people, it's the same problem, is you think your business can't function without you making the decisions. And there is truth to that. You know, if I separate myself too far away from the key leaders of this church, uh, things that I think are good won't be happening. Things I think are bad will be happening, not from intention, but from neglect of attention. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to you know, they're just going to make the best call, but it's not the call I would make. So it's really easy for me to get convinced that, man, you know, I'm crucial to this thing and, and this can't run without me and all this kind of stuff. Well, all of that's putting un, undue pressure on my well-being and I'm really important. And so, hey, guess what? I feel that nobody else is feeling that, by the way. They're not all going, you know, no, 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 I don't think anybody's running around this church going, you know, if Cal weren't here, this thing would all fall apart. Okay, I'm certainly, I'm certainly, uh, I think, respected as a leader, but this whole, it doesn't hinge on me. And and most businesses don't hinge on the person who, the person, <laughs> there's a person who thinks it all hinges on them, and it's not necessarily true. Yeah, there's a few critical things that do hinge on that person. Yes. But we tend to seem to think that we're, our influence is wider than it is, or need for it. Uh, I, I would totally agree. But I think we think it's much more than it actually is. And I, I think, again, if you're in an environment, which we are in an environment in which we're trying to create leaders, we want leaders to emerge. We don't want a bunch of, and, and we, I, I'm going to draw an unfair, uh, uh, there's a problematic uh, analogy here. You know, a leader is a person who gets it, who doesn't need you running around telling them what to do. Mm-hmm. They have a scope that's beyond the, uh, the norm. They can see a bigger picture. They can see What's at stake? A, a, a manager, and I don't mean to disparage management, but a, a leader is somebody who just let him go. Just give him a task and let him go. A manager is more, tell me what to do and I'll get it done. And I, I think, again, if you want to create managers and keep it all about you and you say the focal point, you tell every manager what you want done the way you And I guess what I'm saying is if you won't, you won't raise up leaders, you're just going to be surrounded by people who will manage your vision. That is not what I want to do here. And it'll drain you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it absolutely will drain you. Yeah. But I think that's a, that's a, how do we get to burnout? We get to burnout because we think I got to do all this stuff. I have to be in the middle. I have to be in this meeting. I have to be in that. I have to present that. It has to be all about me, and it's a, a recipe for disaster. So, what I do is, and Sean, you know this very well. I extricate myself from this deal two months every year, uh, June and July. I'm out, and everyone knows I'm out, and I've done it for twenty some years. In fact, it'd be really weird if I were around here in June and July. They'd be going, what's happening? Uh, this The rhythm of this place is so built now around me not being here. But part of it is to keep me healthy, and the other part is to keep the church healthy. Keeping it from the, you know being so dependent upon you know Cal, Cal said, Cal this, Cal that. And so I, I, you know, I think you need to do that. I also think, you know, we in the church, you know, we talk about the Sabbath. Uh, we are horrible horrible at the idea of resting um many of us who lead and again business and, and <clears throat> corporate 
uh, you know, we we are type A driven, <clears throat> get it done, you know, pedal to the metal, don't back down, don't back off, you know, uh, full speed. And um, that's kind of the temperament of so many of us who get in these positions. And, you know, again, it's a recipe for disaster. You cannot run, you know, there's a red line on your car for a reason. Yeah, yeah. You're going to blow the engine. You keep that And you packed. will. And you absolutely will. Uh, you know, Cal, I, I think I do a great job of this because anytime my wife is like walking around the house cleaning everything up and I'm just sitting on the couch, she'll say that I have this spiritual gift of, of rest. <laughs> yeah. That's what she says to your face. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you you probably don't know what she's saying in yeah. her head. Exactly. Oh, she's pretty good about saying what she thinks. So. <laughs> okay. yeah. I don't know your wife, Nick, so I can't really tell that. Hey, Kyle, go, going back to the thing you said that a mentor said to you, you're in charge of your calendar. I remember sitting with you and our, our group and you leaning forward, looking me in the eye and saying, Sean, who's the lead pastor of Rocky? You're in charge of the calendar. Change the meetings you want to change. Change this. I think people need to hear that. You are responsible. Sometimes mm. some of this burnout stuff is self-imposed that we're not making decisions that is making, we're working on the urgent and sometimes what other people say is urgent and important, and but we're not working on the significant, the things that last for the long haul, that if I make this decision today, it makes a significant difference, not tomorrow, but two weeks, two months, two years from now. Yeah. And Cal, you do that well. That's one of the things that you said, I've not necessarily experienced burnout. I think that's one of the reasons because you... Mm take control of your life, you put systems in your life, you put people around you, you delegate well, and you work on what's important and significant. Speak to that for a second. And then I got one other question just about how you fill up too, because the tank's always draining. How do you fill back up? But speak to that work on what's important. Yeah, well, I think that, uh, again, my, you know, my self-centered ego can convince me that I'm important to everything just as any leader could do the exact same thing if they're honest. And I'm not important to everything. And there are things, you know, there are things that only I can provide for this leadership role that only I can provide. And if I don't provide it, this entire organization is going to ripple down in a negative effect because I failed to produce something I should have led it through. The, the list of things that only I can do is probably not nearly as long as I would love to believe it is, but that's my ego. And so I think that the, you know, the important thing is being able to look at something and go, you know, really, am I going to hold this up or am I going to move this forward? Mm. I think we hold things up far more than we think we're moving them forward. We would move them forward more if we would delegate them and give them away and let somebody else take the point and take the charge to lead. Um, I just think it's part of the part of the nature. And, and again, you know, a really interesting, I think, nuance about burnout would be, um, you know, is burnout... Uh, how much personal responsibility do we have in our own personal story of burnout? Because it's really easy, especially in light of the culture in which we've all been indoctrinated. I'm, I'm the victim, man. I like, I got on this thing. I couldn't get off. And, and uh, man, it was just like, it, it was, I had no control over anything. I, that's an incredibly convenient out, yep. uh, you know, to get yep. away from responsibility but you're not talking to high-level leaders who are in that boat. You're talking about, you know, kind of lower 
uh, if, if, uh, you know, the, uh, the idea of somebody who is just going to pay them to do a job, just do what I tell you to do. And again, I think a nuance on all of this is, you know, how long should I stay and when, you know, I think it's the level of leadership that you're being called to lead at. But I, I personally believe, and again, I, I'd be more than willing, let's break this down if you want to, but I, if I burn out at the end of the day, I don't think I have anyone to blame but myself. I agree. That can be tough to hear, though, right? What's that? That can be tough to hear, though, right? Oh, absolutely. I, I don't want it to be me. Right. I don't want. I don't want to blame myself for anything. What, who are we kidding? <laughs> yeah. I don't. You know, I didn't do it. It was done to me. But I think part of you know, and part of the gift of my life, which is a whole other subject. Um, one of the, the the one of the greatest gifts of my life, and this is going to sound really fun when I say it, is I grew up without a dad. That's a gift. Now. Yeah. Do I want that gift for any other? Do I want that gift for my kids? No. Do I want that gift for your kids? No. Do I want that gift for any other kids? No. But for me, it was the absolute worst thing that I could ever look back on my past and say that was the worst thing that's ever happened to me because I grew up without a dad. The flip side of it is I'd also have to say the absolute best thing that ever happened to me was I grew up without a dad. And the reason the best thing that ever happened to me is I grew up without a dad is I had to decide early on, am I just going to be the kid that not, not, he has every reason in the world to amount to nothing. He's got every justification. He didn't have a dad. He had no influence. He had no, you know, modeling. He had no to teach him. And I mean, I really, I really think I flirted with the option. I can amount to nothing, and I've got a built-in great excuse. And uh, and the problem with that is, as with all victimhood mentality, is you have a right to it. But at the end of the day, I have a right to become nothing. At the end of the day, I become nothing. I choose not to become nothing, and therefore I can't take the route that causes me to conclude I have a right to become nothing. So I have so so early on, I just have decided I'm not a victim. I'm not a victim of anything. I'm victimized sometimes, and you know, frequently I would say uh, that well, that was just a convenient out for somebody. You know, blame me for it. Uh, at the end of the day, though, I, I'm not a victim. I'm not. I'm not a helpless, fragile. You know, poor little me, I can't control the outcome. I think that when we talk about the issue of burnout, it would be really easy for somebody to just say, I, there's nothing I could have done. I choose not to believe that, mm. which is maybe why I've never hit the wall. I don't know. Yeah. I see the wall coming. I feel the wall's impact, and I go, I choose not. Mm. Man, that's callous. That's good. And I think people need to catch that. You use the word victimhood. I think there's that idea of reframing. Because um, if we see everything from a negative point of view and that that voice inside our mind is always negative, mm. man, you will burn out. Yeah. But if you're able to reframe everything in life, there is, I, I do believe somebody said this to me actually today. Um, it was actually Alan. He said, hey, I, I do believe, he's talking about grief. And he said, even though you're grieving, there is still something to be grateful for. And I think there is a side of, man, if you can reframe and look at every situation. There's the negative in some situations, but there's also an opportunity, mm -hmm. an opportunity for growth. And you, I've noticed that you've done that with our group numerous times. You've said, "Hey, Sean, reframe that. Let's let's relook at that. What opportunity is there in that?" And I think that can be life giving, energy giving, yeah. uh, for people. Yeah. And, and, and let me just, I, I, I don't want to leave this lingering. I, I don't want to say because I'm not, I'm not saying this. I really am not saying this. I'm not saying if you if you're listening to this and you've hit the wall and you feel like you've burned out, it's all your fault. I'm not saying that. What I'm and I'm not saying that as uh, with as little compassion as suck it up and get back in the game, uh, because I do I I do think 
that if, if my burnout is inevitable because I have no control over it, then I also have to take the, the adjoining thought, which I have no control over getting out of it. I, and I, again, I've been very fortunate because of some lessons I've learned in my life that have kept me from, from burning out, I think. And I, I've got, you know, a, a short runway to, you know, finish my, my leadership role here. I, it hasn't happened. I don't think it's going to happen. But I'm not running around, you know, getting in people's faces who have, who have fallen. And, and, you know, burnout is literally the image of a, a rocket shooting off into space, running out of fuel and crashing back to the earth. I am not running around, you know, getting in people, uh, people's grill who, you know, you, you crash. But, but I would say... Um, let, let's figure out how can we how can we redo this where you could do this again, do it in a way that you don't come crashing back down. Because mm -hmm. you, if you own no responsibility for the first fall, you can't really take uh, uh, you, you won't motivate yourself to do what you got to do to get back and get healed and get back in the game. And I would say, you know what? Make sure if if you feel like you've crashed, make sure you learn something from it. Mm -hmm. And these questions you're asking, like what? Well, what did what did what should what were the telltale signs I should have picked up on? Mm. You know what what gauges were flashing at me and I just ignored them because it will happen again if you do come back and you do get yourself back in the game. You're gonna you're gonna the some same lights are gonna flash, and the next time you have to do something different. One of my one of my favorite sayings we say this around this church all the time uh, is nothing changes when nothing changes, and I just love those five words. Nothing changes when nothing changes. Um, we want to have a different outcome, but we want to do the exact same thing over and over and over again. Nothing changes when nothing changes, man. And so I got to look at it and go, okay, I crashed. What caused that? I got to change something. So anyway. Okay. I know, Nick, you probably got another question. I, I got one last thing that yeah. I, I want to know from Cal. So um, Cal, I heard a, a pastor describe it this way. A uh, strong leader, he said, I don't know if I call it burnout. I call it drain out. And it, just use the idea of like a five gallon bucket, you drill a hole in the bottom of that, uh, in the bottom of that bucket and you're putting water in it. It's always draining out. You got to be filling it up. So my question would be is if we don't fill up, we're going to drain all the way out. And so for you, what do you do? What rhythms, what, what do you do to fill up to make sure you're just not draining all the way out? Um, plug the hole. <laughs> <laughs> That's cheating. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, but let's uh, let's put the humor of that aside. Let's just put the humor of that aside for a second, because I think the truth of the matter is, if I have a bucket and it's leaking water, I'm not going to just keep pouring more and more water in it. That's that was that would seem futile. I would go, what, what, what is happening here, and where's this coming out from? And then I would try to figure out how to plug the bucket. But assuming I couldn't plug the bucket, mm -hmm. um, I would, you know, I would, I would certainly try my hardest to isolate the life-giving things that uh, are in my life that I would go, if this went away, if I lost this, I just, life wouldn't be life to me. And so for me, again, I think about, uh, you know, what's kept me. Uh, number one, I, I, I truly and sincerely love God, and I love being in the presence of God, and I love, I love His Word. I, uh, you know, I'm in the Bible every day. I'm uh, it's kind of the first thing I try to get into my into my thinking every day. I don't always do it first thing, but I try to. Um, I, you know, I certainly want to. Um, I I, um, I I want to cultivate relationships that feed me, don't drain me. Uh, which again, I have a, quite a few 
of those, Sean, you are in that circle. Uh, people oh, I just love which, being with. And okay, I, you know, good. I, I was wondering which one you're talking about. The drain you or fill <laughs> you? There's a hole in my bucket, Sean. You have been ever since I've known you. Um, uh, and then I, uh, another thing we haven't even talked about is I think part of the problem with so many of us is we wait, we are way too into our jobs. It's a whole other issue. We are way too into our jobs. And we don't have interests and we don't have passions. We don't have anything that we can get away from when we're not doing our jobs. Mm. And especially now with this, you know, ridiculous uh, t- uh, dependency we have upon telephones and social media and, you know, I get email pings as you do and text pings and, uh, you know, disconnecting from all of that, I think, is a crucial thing. Uh, and I'm uh, I'm an outdoors guy. I love to hunt. I love to fish. I have a place up north I love to be at. And um, uh, I think, find you know, find those things that are not about your job but that absolutely rejuvenate you. You know, and another thing too, you know, I just want to, I want to, as I was thinking about this, thinking, you know, it's interesting when I think about what is burnout, you know, what is burnout? And a, a couple of images, one that I've heard and one that I, I just kind of felt like it's kind of like this. So the one I've heard is, you know, burnout is when, uh, stress is when you take a, a, a branch and you bend it and it, it kind of then works itself back out to being a straight branch. That's stress. You put it under stress, but it recovered. Burnout is when you, you bend it and it snaps and it never goes back. Okay, so mm-hmm. use that as an image of burnout. I, I don't think it's in our best interest for any of us to pretend like the weight I'm feeling is crushing me. I'm going to act like it doesn't affect me, and I'm mm-hmm. not going to tell anybody. So when your bucket's leaking... I think you need to bring people into your life and go, guys, which again, I think it's not our nature, which is the root of our problem. We don't want people to, we don't want people to know as if they can't tell as if they can't tell. Yeah. And I would, and I would make this statement uh, to every leader listening. If you're burning out, there are people around you who love you, care about you, and they are trying their hardest to tell you, you need to pay attention. The problem is their gauge they're light on your dash and they're really easy to ignore. They don't know what they're talking about. Uh, I drive a, a Jeep Wrangler and the, uh, the joke of Jeep Wrangler owners is you should be concerned if the lights go out <laughs> because something is wrong. But you know, I think that a lot of us, it's like the light has been on since we, <laughs> it's <since> really wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that, I've never heard that, but I love that. You That's like that? Really you like that? It's an unfortunate yeah. thing as a, a Jeep owner. But I think the problem is for a lot of us is like the light has always been on. Mm. So you, you, you don't really notice when something has happened. It's not like the, that, that light goes on. Oh, there's cause for concern. It's been on since uh, you started that job, since you started that career. And you don't even know what it's like for that light to not be on. Well, that would be a great, that would be a great exercise in leadership. It's in your life. Pay attention. Where are these lights that you feel like they've always been on? What are those lights? And, and, identifying them for the sake of actually trying to figure out what can I, what does it mean? And what could I do it about that? Because again, if, if I just assumed, if I just assumed that all the stress, all the tension, all the anger, all the, uh, you know, the, the, the sense of being overwhelmed, that just goes with the job. I would burn out. Yeah. Those are all, those are all, no, you can't, you can't do this job without that. And I just want to say that's absolutely not true. It's kind of like, and this is a parallel, but I think about like people say you can't raise your kids in the church. 
uh, because if you raise your kids in the church, they're all going to, they're, you know, you're going to rob your time from your family and your kids are going to be, you know, left as orphans because you're never around. I just want to go, wait a minute. That's absolutely 100% not true. It's an easy excuse to explain why your kids turned out horrible. Uh, the church just demanded all my time and it was never home. Or you could go, what could I uniquely do because I'm in this role that I could never do in another role, but because I'm in this role, I could give them something. And like like going back to youth ministry, when I told my daughter, who was a seventh grader at the time, that I was stepping out of youth ministry to take this other role that they asked me to take, my, my seventh grade daughter broke down and sobbed. And she said to me, I, I've spent all my life waiting for you to be my youth pastor. This is so unfair. And as painful as that was, there was so much positive in it because she had seen the pattern of how I take my kids places and, and I give them experiences and I show up because I, I don't have to punch a clock. No kidding. I can go to their school. I've waited all my life for you to be my youth pastor. <laughs> That's amazing. Hey, I'm still your youth pastor. <laughs> Just not doing it at church. I laugh and uh, and love the story Jeremy tells about how many dinners you guys had um, in the back of the car. Yeah, yeah. Uh, from Taco Bell on the way yep. to youth ministry things. And his point was like, not that, you know, ministry took dad away from the family. It's no, we just did life together, everything. We did life together. And how much we enjoyed it, yeah. Yeah, and, I, and some of my greatest memories, honestly, are this things that happened on the road where I was speaking somewhere or, or doing something at a conference or a church or something, whatever. We, and I would always just go, uh, yeah, I'll come, but hey, it's, it, we gotta, I got to bring one of my kids. Are you okay with that? And they're always okay with that. Yeah. Nobody said, nobody's ever said no. And nor have I ever said no to anybody who's asked, mm -hmm. hey, you know, I'll come speak to you, but can I bring my kid? Oh, that's a deal breaker. <laughs> well, I, I don't want to take too much of your time, Cal. And I mean, you've had so many nuggets of wisdom and I can't wait for our, our listeners to, to listen and take notes and process it. Sean, thanks for sharing Cal uh, oh, man. and some of his wisdom. You, you've held him for nine and a half years and we haven't had any <laughs> access to him. You know, of course, how I hear that is, gosh, in nine and a half years, I have not yet convinced Sean that I have any golden nugget of anything we're sharing with anybody beyond our little group. Evidently, just recently, you've said a couple things that were inspiring, and he's like, hey, I got to get you on the podcast. I've been so close for so long, but just never made the cut. Hey, you, you passed on the podcast, so now we want you to come out and speak. We'll even let you bring Jeremy out with you Ooh, if you want. you can oh, bring your son. Awesome. There you go. That'd be awesome. You can tag along, <laughs> and I can teach him how to do real ministry. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, well, first, first off, Sean, I would love this. I would love the privilege of being in your church. Just for Dude, the record, we love on, it. On a side note. Yeah. But, hey, to both of you guys and to, you know, whoever's hearing this, uh, seriously, thanks for the opportunity to share some thoughts. And I, I really do want to be really clear. I, I uh, if you're hurting and you feel like you've been overwhelmed and you feel like I just don't, I, I can't suck it up and go on, please, please, please know that we care about you and you matter. And please talk to somebody who can kind of help you see how you got there because I really do believe that there are ways to come back and there mm -hmm. are ways to come back, but yes. it's not going to be accidental. Mm -hmm. It's going to be because it's intentionally did some things differently. And uh, there's, there's incredible life and leadership as much as there are these dark holes called, you know, burnout. Mm -hmm. There's incredible life. So please don't be discouraged. Please find help somewhere. And uh, I, I know this church in Colorado that. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right, though. Seriously. Well said. Help. Well, thanks, guys, for being on the show today. It's awesome. Yeah. Cal, love you, man. Take care. See you guys. Bye-bye.
Well, thanks again for joining us on Rocky Unscripted. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can go to rocky.church slash this week. And no matter when you're listening, it'll always be up to date. We love to connect with you and love to serve you as much as we can. Please share the podcast, rate us, review us. That helps us be seen by more and more people. Love you guys. We'll catch you next time.